The following audio is from LifePoint Church, located in O'Fallon, Missouri. For more information about LifePoint Church, visit us online at thelifepointconnection.com. Good morning. My name's Caleb. Uh, I'm going to imagine that most of you know who I am. Uh, These lights are really, really bright, so I can't see you. Um... If you don't know who I am, I'm showing you that this is all the notes I have, so um, I'm going to do my very best to uh, be not long-winded. In other words, not talk more than I should, because if you have been a part of life groups, you know that when I get excited about something, and I'm excited about what I have to share today, that I tend to uh, talk a lot. Blame it on my mother. Um, Just a little bit more about who I am. Uh, Again, like I said, my name is Caleb. My wife, Alicia, and I came here to LifePoint about a year ago, right after we had gotten back from our honeymoon. We haven't been married very long, and we began to to really know that God was calling us to go and find somewhere to serve together a new place, a new fellowship. And we actually arrived here on a Sunday, not unlike next Sunday, and you're going to hear the announcements twice because I'll be talking about them as we go through the message today, but next Sunday we're going to be doing what we call All-In Sunday, Baptism Sunday. It's basically going to be a party to join the party happening in heaven and celebrating in baptism those that have made profession of faith. But we arrived here on that Sunday and we watched what God did. And once we settled in here and just observe the grace of God working in LifePoint Church, we were blown away. And so since then, we have been here, and more recently, as I said, you guys that have been in the Wednesday night life groups with uh, Pastor Eric at his house, you've heard me. And so for the past, oh, 25, 26 weeks or so, as we've gone through a couple of series, I've been leading in that group. And it's my passion to be a part of this congregation through life groups, through small groups, because I truly have a heart to see us grow, to see us grow not just in numbers, that's fun, but I want to see us grow as a body. So what I'm going to be talking about today is is basically that. So we're going to look at the scripture, obviously, and it's not going to be over here on the screens, so that's just because I was lazy, so I just confess that. I'm nervous, because I haven't done this in a long time, so I just want you to know those things up front. But if you don't have a Bible, I'm going to ask you to uh, raise your hand, and somebody can get you a Bible. If you do have a Bible, you can go ahead, find that, turn that on, scroll to, whatever that might be. Find Matthew chapter 28. That's where we're going to start, but it's going to take me a couple minutes to get there. I want to look back at the last two messages because we're going to talk about the Great Commission. And the Great Commission is not found in the Bible in that phrase. But we see that in Matthew 28. And so I want to look back at our last two weeks that we've had together. Two weeks ago, Pastor Eric shared a message with us And he began that message out of Romans chapter 10. And we talked about Philip and the Ethiopian as we finished. And we saw what happens when the Holy Spirit moves. We saw Holy Spirit transformation. And then Philip was moved by Holy Spirit transportation. I don't know if you remember that, but that is pretty awesome. I want to look at that passage in Romans. And so I'm going to read that to you here. 
What does it say? This is Romans 10, beginning in verse 8. If you want to look there, you can. The word is near you in your mouth and your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified. And with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Verse 13, moving on a little bit. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone. Not just some people, not just the nice looking people, not just these people. Everyone that calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. And Pastor Eric really wanted us to feel his heart, feel the heart of God two weeks ago when he asked us and then told us, you have been commissioned to be people with beautiful feet. Life Point Church in O'Fallon and surrounding community, be a people that preach the good news of Jesus Christ. Then last week, John reminded us the story of the gospel is not over. And we talked about a situation with some disciples going to a tomb that was empty because the ladies had checked it out. They went back. They're like, I don't believe you. There's no way that's right. So they took off. They went on a race. John talked about how he was going to race Dominic and how he'd crush Dominic if that was the case. But that he would get there. And so we were reading out of John chapter 20. And I want to read those verses again as well. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter. Anytime you see Simon Peter, you just know something different is going to happen. Simon is uh, one of those guys. Simon Peter was always the ready, shoot, aim kind of guy. So I don't know if you caught ready, shoot, aim kind of guy is what he was. And so being that does not surprise me at all that he went into the tomb rather than just looking in. And we pick that up and we see that he went into the tomb and he saw the linen cloth lying there. And in verse seven, the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloth was folded up in a place by itself. And that was significant because it told them that there was still work to be done. And you have to remember that as John shared last week, he talked about his grandpa's handkerchief and how that thing, regardless of how dirty it was, uh, it wasn't done until the day was done. He'd take it out, he'd wipe his brow, he'd blow his nose, he'd put it back in his pocket and he'd do it again and again. But then we went back to the text where we'll begin today back to the Great Commission, back to the charge, the last charge, one of the last things that Jesus shares with his disciples before he ascends into heaven. And so you can turn there. We're going to be in Matthew 28, verse 18. Now, I'm going to read this from the NIV translation. Many of you may have a different translation. The reason I'm reading this is for a particular choice in how the word is translated, and I'll point that out when we get there. Just follow along with me, starting in verse 18. Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. 
Therefore go and make disciples of all nations. Part one. That's part one of the Great Commission. Part one. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Part two. Go. We heard that. We heard that we were sent. We have beautiful feet because we preach the good news. We are to baptize them. We know that we're going to do that because we're going to celebrate that next week. Verse 20. And here's where I choose this translation. And teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. The word obey here is actually correct. That is effective use of the language. Other translations will say things like observe. Most of you, many of you may be using the ESV and that'll say observe. Obey is a more powerful word because that is a powerful commandment. Obey, meaning that you obey everything I have commanded you and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So that begs a couple of questions. Who is the them referring to? Who is it that when he says, baptizing them, teaching them, who is that? Well, I think I'm right. I hope that you will agree that that is those who were lost that are now found because we have gone out. Because we have shared the good news and because we have been people with beautiful feet, others have heard of the hope that is in us, that is Jesus. And because of that, we now have a them, the lost are found. The first thing we do after the lost are found is we baptize them. And I want to make it very clear that we're not saying that that makes them Christians or that that saves them or that that gives them a a pass to heaven. But that is an outward demonstration of an inward change. That's something that they're saying and doing. And that is the command. That requires a church. So in step two, typically speaking, now I know last two weeks ago, We looked at what I would call an anomaly. And that was the situation with Philip. But more often than not, you're going to find that baptism takes place within a church. So what is a church? Well, a church is, in fact, a gathering together of believers. Usually believers gather together somewhere. Is that fair? Is that okay? So they gather together somewhere. We see in uh, the book of Acts this huge, awesome outpouring of the Holy Spirit... And then we see Peter get up. Remember, this is not long after this same guy said to a little girl with every cuss word he could think of, I don't know Jesus. Now, just a very short time later, preaches one of the most powerful, most bold sermons of his entire life. 3,000 people went from being lost to being found. And something had to happen. And in the church in Jerusalem, they began to baptize those people. Because when we find the lost by God's grace, we're inviting them into Him, and we're inviting them into something else, and that is the church. We are an expression of Jesus Christ as a church, and we are a family. Then there's that last part, teaching them to obey. So, We are all called, those are the three ways that that works. We're all called at some level to share the gospel. That is in our hearts, so it should be on our lips. We need to understand that the going is going to look different. So it's important for us to know that when you're called to go, the way that you're called to go is going to look different. And we're going to talk about differences in the body today. Because not every person can look the same because A, that would be boring. 
B, nobody would actually like anybody because half of us don't like ourselves most of the time. And, and, and C, why would anybody want to come hang out with somebody that's just like them all the time? That's just not the way that God has it working. We see in the book of Revelations the, the final picture, and it's beautiful. It is the church that we see in the end, and it is every tongue, every tribe, every nation, all worshiping him together, not bickering among themselves, not fighting, not whining, not bullying. They are actually in gospel fellowship with one another in the presence of their king. We get that opportunity now, today. That's what we just did. And that is something we have to continue to grow up into. So it's not so much the going, regardless of what it looks like. The, the reality is, the deeper issue is your willingness to obey. To obey. We then have to, uh, get my notes right here, go to that last piece. Because we've talked about baptism. This last thing, teaching to obey, is discipleship and discipling. Discipleship and discipling has to happen. If we're going to be, as we've said, a church that sends churches, if we're going to be a church that uh, is all about the Great Commission, then we have to be making disciples. That means make disciples as you go. Mark Denver, a pastor of a a very large church, Capitol Hill, on Capitol Hill, uh, he says it uh, in a way that I really like. And this is what he says, and it's a distinction that I think is valuable. Discipleship is following Jesus. Discipling, discipleship, my following Jesus. Discipling is me helping someone else follow Jesus. Regardless of where you are on your journey, and regardless of where you've been on your journey since you met and encountered the living God through the work of the Holy Spirit and knew the person Jesus Christ, you have been on a journey. And you have an onus on you. It's not the preacher's job. It's not my job. It's not the job of this guy putting together life groups to make this happen. It's on you guys to make disciples as you go. That's extremely uh, important to understand. And that's going to happen more often than not in one-on-one relationships and in small groups. If I was to have that practice taking place in here, that's going to be difficult to do. Many of you didn't know me. Some of you don't know one another. But in small groups, relationships are formed. And that's why I'm passionate about small groups at LifePoint. We call those life groups here. Paul would go on to, uh, to tell the leaders and elders of his church how important this is. And so we're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 4. You can turn there again if you want to. Uh, Because I was lazy and didn't have the passages ready for the screen, you get to not be lazy and actually look at your Bibles or your screens as they are in front of you. And we're going to begin in verse 12. Equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. The work of the ministry is more than just one thing. Part of that is the going. That's part of the Great Commission. But once we go, the lost are found. And when the lost are found, they have to be discipled. And now we have a job to do inside the church as well as outside the church. And if we're busy over here doing the going, but we don't want anything to do with the discipling, then we're in sin. Then we are having a problem with our Savior and the marching orders that he's given us. 
That is what he is telling us in this passage here. Verse 13. Until we attain the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way, grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint which it is equipped. Again, very important. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that the body itself grows up in love. You see that we need one another here. So this is kind of what we're supposed to be doing. So if you think about it, uh, my role outside of here is I work at uh, a company where I do technical training and leadership development, and then I do a lot of engineering development as far as training regards around that. And so we ask several questions. We use these W's quite a bit. What, why, when, where. Then we throw in that H, who, uh, or that how. You guys caught me? Told you I was nervous. This is kind of the what. This is what we're supposed to be doing. Teaching one another. In this passage, we're seeing what it means to have gospel maturity take place in our body. And I don't know about you. I have two daughters. They're 10 and 12 years old. They're not here this morning. But I I can remember very well when they were infants. How many of you have ever been around a crying infant? It is the most peaceful and soothing sound out there, right? (laughs) It's not, right? So I remember when my when my girls were little, they would cry on end on end for no reason. And they would continue to cry, and there was no soothing them. But as it typically stands, and maybe, maybe again I go too far, but babies really do three things, right? They cry, we know that, but they eat, they poop, and they sleep. Can I say that? I just did, so I said it. So that's what babies do, right? But do any of us, would any of us, be where we are today if we weren't first babies? It took somebody taking care of us. And I want to be very careful in understanding and making sure that you're aware, that I'm aware, that not every person in here grew up in a loving home. But in a family, you have parents and you have siblings oftentimes, and there are people helping that infant grow up. And that infant continues to grow, and we don't make the expectation of an infant that we do of a seven-year-old. Is that fair? I mean, that makes sense, right? Parents don't look back and, you know, baby's finally asleep. Oh, he's so good at everything he does. He doesn't do a whole lot. So not that hard, right? Are you going to tell a, a toddler that's barely learned to walk to go clean their room? It's probably not going to happen, right? Is that fair? If you tell a seven-year-old to go clean their room, I got some parents in here you're going to expect they go clean their room, right? They know what you're asking them. We are not different in our spiritual walk. We are not different as believers. And in this body, we need to eagerly expect 
that as we obey the command to go, that God is going to honor that obedience by his spirit moving and people coming to him. And that means we're going to welcome in babies, new believers. They're not going to know everything that we know. And if we're operating wrongly as a church, not honoring all of the command in the Great Commission, those babies could get left aside. We may want to put too much pressure on them. We may not want to deal with them. We may want to take the lazy approach of saying, well, I got them here. You know, I witnessed, checked that box. They wrote that down in heaven. I mean, I've got a better score than you do. Now you guys here in the church, take care of what I did because, you know, I want to continue, you know, doing what I got to do. That's not right. Because chances are pretty good that if you were allowed to have that encounter, you still have some onus on you to carry forward in that relationship with that individual because that is discipling, helping someone else follow Jesus. We're going to uh, turn uh, back just a little bit to chapter 2, the same Same book, chapter 2, starting in verse 19. We're going to start to develop the why. We talked about the what we're supposed to do, the why. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Who's the cornerstone? All right, everybody's paying attention still. In whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. In him, that means individually he is shaping and molding our lives. And the grace of God flows through us by the person of the Holy Spirit. And we all have different gifts. And those gifts are placed together. That's how Jesus does it. That's his intention for the Great Commission to be effective and successful is that we work together. We exercise those gifts together. We see it again in 1 Peter chapter 2. And I like that Peter, remember we talked about Peter, and he kind of knows the process. We see the institution of the church start to really begin in Matthew chapter 16. And that's where we see Peter and Jesus having that conversation where Jesus or where Peter rather jumped out of the boat, swam ashore. You know, it was a pretty awesome encounter. And then we see the church having some behavior and some influence in Christian life again in Matthew chapter 18, where we see a discussion taking place about how to handle disputes among the brothers. And we see that there is the authority of the church. So the church is relevant. And Peter was the person that Jesus said on this rock, I will build my church. And so he has a heart for the local church. And he knows the process. So so the, the scripture reads so similar here. I love that there's such congruency in the Bible. 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 2. Like newborn infants long for pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, 
we hear this language, it's, it's exactly the same again, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ, for it stands in Scripture. Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, that's Jesus, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. That goes back to Romans that we talked about right off the bat. But you are chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. You don't think you belong. You don't think you fit. You're chosen by God to be a part of this expression of Christ, and he is proud to call you his own. That should impact your life. The God of the universe saw you and said, I love you, I want you, and I'm putting you on my team. That means a lot. A people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. And once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. The Bible continually firmly charges us that we're to grow up, always progressing in our Christ-likeness. It's the work of sanctification in our hearts. Christianity is not a solo sport or an event. It must be lived out in the fellowship of saints. We cannot achieve the one another's without one another. And I want to look at these one another's together so we can just kind of get an idea of what is said here. We're going to do something together again. The word one another is two English words, but in the Greek, which is what the New Testament translated this from, it is uh, one word. And so we're going to practice that word together. Alone. So not all alone. That's not what it is. Alone. You guys say it. That word is one another. That translates to the English one another. It's used a hundred times in the New Testament in 94 different scriptures, 60% of those are written by the Apostle Paul. That is a significant enough sample size for me to say this matters. I need to pay attention to what's happening here. I need to understand what's going on. One third of the one another commands, these are some interesting facts I looked up. One third of the one another commands deal with the unity of the church. And I can give you scripture references for these afterwards if you'd like but i'm just going to read them off real quick here unity in the church jesus high priestly prayer in john chapter 17 was that god would unify us as they were one that we would be one it's important that we understand that we're all built on the cornerstone of jesus be at peace with one another don't grumble among one another be of the same mind with one another. Does that mean that you have to agree on everything? Not at all. It is the same thing. If we were all the same and we had no different thoughts, we would be dull. That is how the Holy Spirit will shape us. Accept one another. Bear with and forgive one another. Seek good for one another and don't repay evil for evil. Confess sins to one another. Another third of the one another's have to do with how we're supposed to love each other. Love one another. That phrase is used 11 times all by itself in different commands. 11 different passages, love one another. Love, absolutely 100% of the time, has to require sacrifice. You are not loving someone well if you are not sacrificing for their good. 
You cannot love if you're not willing to put yourself behind them and love them first. So love one another 11 times. Through love, serve one another. Be devoted to one another in love. Humility takes up 15% of the rest of these. Give, perform, or give uh, preference to one another in honor. Regard one another as more important than yourselves. That's harder for some of us than others. Serve one another. Wash one another's feet. Be subject to one another. And just a few more. Bear one another's burdens. Speak truth to one another. Don't lie to one another. Encourage and build up one another. Spur one another on to love and good deeds. You know that word spur means? It is painful. My wife rides horses. She's got a horse that has one of the most unique personalities. A very gentle, very calm, acts like a six-year-old kid all the time. And when she is training, she rides dressage and she does English riding. And that horse has to do very, very particular things. I don't understand it. I could talk up here like that and make me look more foolish. But the reality is, I have watched her when she'll get out there and she'll be teaching him something new and he doesn't want to do it. But because she knows that he can and she knows that he needs to, she has to put on spurs. That is exactly what this language is saying. We have to be in a fellowship with one another where we can have that level of concern. Pray for one another. Be hospitable to one another. So, so the one another's are very, very important. We cannot successfully live out the Christian life on an island by ourselves. It's not going to happen. We cannot effectively be people of beautiful feet if we're not also a part of the local body of Christ. That's just so critical for us to know. The fruit that we're commanded to bear in Galatians chapter 5, what good is that if you're alone? How do you enjoy that if you're not in fellowship with believers? How is that truly, fully expressed? It can't be. Because God did not intend you to do it by yourself. Lone rangers get shot. That's all they do. Christianity is about the one another's. Hebrews gives us a warning in regards to maturity. I talk about that. We talk a little bit about the growing up and the babies. But Hebrews chapter 5 at the closing verses, it's a very sharp warning. I want to make sure we hear it. Because there we hear the, the Holy Spirit as our author saying to the church, there are some of you, though you should be teachers still crave the milk, the milk that Peter's talking about. Though you should be here, you desire not to be there because of the responsibility, because of what it requires of you, because it makes you uncomfortable. So you're going to stay here. You know what you're doing if you're being one of those people? You ever seen a five or six-year-old throw a temper tantrum? kicking their feet. You don't look on that and go, wow, that is so impressive. I hope that I can be that one of these days. I have a, uh, a nephew who has a tendency at times, he, it, when he was younger, he's, he's not that way anymore, but he would get really mad and he would just stand there 
And he would just be locked up like this while he was mad. Now, I laugh at that. I laughed at it then. I'm not a great uncle, maybe. But the reality is, when you're like this, you're not doing anything. You're completely focused on yourself and whatever injustice might have taken place to you that you feel like. And you don't want to have to worry about the trouble to to, to take care of that. Likewise, from a leadership standpoint, if I have someone who I know should be able to chew their own food, I shouldn't have to do the work to pour it into a cup. And as a body, as an expression, fulfilling the Great Commission, we have to grow up into the person that is Jesus Christ. So I'm asking you, because we're going to talk about some things when we, we do announcements with life groups and the changes that are coming the first week of May. And we're going to talk about what it means to be a part of the church. We've got foundations coming up. And so in those spaces, it's going to require that you do some soul searching. And you need to ask yourself, if you're here and you, you attend, if you consider yourself a covenant member at LifePoint, absolutely a partner in our ministry, you need to search your soul. And you need to make sure that you're willing to say, you know what? No. I hear the Holy Spirit's warning in Hebrews, and I'm not going to be somebody hollering about needing my milk when I can get the food myself, when I can feed myself. I want to be what God has called me to be. Because we're going to offer some things with our, with our life groups that are going to help us identify and work with this disciple, discipling thing and how that happens. And we need to know that your heart has been searched and that you have allowed the gentle wooing of the Holy Spirit to convict you, if that's what it is, and let us love you. Let us love you and let us help you I like, you know, that was 60% of those were Paul. And I like how a guy, he's a commentator. I'm a nerd. I read things like that. Uh, A guy named Peter O'Brien. He summed up Paul's ministry very well. And I like his summary. Paul not only proclaimed the gospel and under God converted men and women, he also founded churches as a necessary element in his missionary task. Conversion to Christ meant incorporation into him and thus membership within a Christian community. And and brothers and sisters, uh, if I can use that language, we have to be that community where we can love one another, where it is a safe environment for a new believer to come in and love prevails, not judgment. And where we have a situation where we disagree, we disagree in honor. We do not disagree by saying, you know what? They didn't like my Facebook post. I don't love them. (laughs) I saw what they said after I put that on Twitter. They don't know Jesus. We cannot have that immaturity here and still be successful in achieving the Great Commission. God wants us to do that work here amongst us because he is building a beautiful place out of us for his spirit to dwell and together each one of those stones, living stones chosen by him, built on his son, Jesus Christ, makes us a beautiful people. The Great Commission is a wonderful thing. It's not something we do begrudgingly. I'm going to read a passage from Colossians as I, as I move into closing 
You know, as I conclude, we've learned that that gets your attention again. So as I read this, it's several verses, but it's the heart of Paul, and I want you to hear that it's my heart. I know some of you didn't know me before, but it's my heart. And I want you to know as I read, this is what we desire, because this is what God desires. So beginning Colossians chapter 1, verse 10, and I'm going to move around a little bit. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, may you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints of light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. Hallelujah in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and he is before all things. This is our cornerstone. And in him, all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. We were dead, brought to life because of him. That in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all of the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by death in order to present you a holy and blameless person above reproach before him. Indeed, if you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. That's the words from Romans 10, the word that you heard. If you continue there, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, the mystery hidden for ages, generations but now revealed to his saints, to them, us, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, that he powerfully works within me. Bonhoeffer said it very well. Christianity without discipleship is Christianity without Christ. Thank you, guys. Thanks for listening to this week's message. LifePoint Church exists to engage, encourage, and equip through the gospel for the glory of God. Therefore, it is our prayer that the word of God would be an encouragement to your heart and lead you into a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ. If you would like to support the ministry, you can do so by visiting our website at thelifepointconnection.com slash give. May God bless and may your life point to Christ everywhere in every way.